and welcome to Vista Talks, uh, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined in Studio 2 today by Ellie Kampf. Uh, thank you so much, Ellie, for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Ellie. So Ellie is the head of crisis response at Translators Without Borders. And without further ado, I'm going to uh, move on and get onto the show and ask you a couple of questions today. Sure, please go ahead. Thank you. So Ellie, uh, first I'd like to uh, get to know you a little better and for our audience who wouldn't. Um, can you share um, a little bit about your background? I uh, did a bit of research and I understand that you studied French. Uh, I am French, so I'm very excited to know that. And Russian as well, university. And you graduated with a bachelor's degree in interpreting and translating. So you were, um, at this team if I may say, you, were, you went into this field with an idea and then you continued uh, and uh, it's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah, no, I started out as a language. That's my, my first languages have always been uh, something that I love and uh, learning about other cultures, living in other countries. Um, so yes, French and Russian. And then I worked as a translator for six years, um, working in Brussels uh, the, with those languages in German. And then I got an opportunity to uh, to volunteer initially with a, a small NGO um, in Central Asia after the civil war in Tajikistan. And then I was hooked and uh, and really wanted to work in humanitarian action. Um, so that's my first proper job was in the during the Kosovo crisis of 1999. So it's now a little over two decades that I've been in the humanitarian field. Um, and I joined TWB in 2017. Um, and that just looked like the job that was made for me because it's a combination of these two passions, the humanitarian work that I've been doing for the last couple of decades and my first love, which is languages. So it's, it's fabulous. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for this uh, introduction, if I may say. Uh, so um, I'm going to move on to, um, so to your current role. Uh, I understand that the organization was originally founded in 1993 in France as a Traducteur Sans Frontières by okay. Laurie Sick and Ross Smith-Thomas. So um, with you? Yeah, so we're a, we're a non-profit organization and our role in the world is to help people communicate um, in the languages and the formats that are that make information accessible to them and enable them to have a voice, to make their voices heard. Um, so that we've, the organization has, has evolved a long way, as you would expect, expect since 1993. Um, I think it was a, a a watershed moment with the Haiti earthquake of 2010 mm -hmm. um, when we really got this long before I joined of course but really got involved in supporting the humanitarian response to the earthquake and in particular uh, there was a recognition then I think that humanitarian organizations international humanitarian organizations didn't really uh, grasp at the time that communication in French was not enough that if they wanted to speak to the people who've been directly affected by the earthquake that need to be Haitian Creole yeah. Um, and we have, uh, I think that we were very effective in, in supporting them in that. And since then, we've, uh, we've supported in a whole range of different sudden onset and ongoing humanitarian emergencies. Um, we, we believe that everyone has the right to give and receive information. And so we support uh, that two-way communication, generally by supporting humanitarian organizations. Um, we work... We do that with the help of a, an amazing community of about 30,000 linguists around the world. Mm -hmm. um, some of them in their own countries supporting 
their compatriots, some of them um, in the diaspora and wanting to help people back home, um, working in something like 200 language pairs. It's, it's the most incredible resource. Many wow. of them are volunteers and, and don't generously donate their time and their expertise to support okay. that. Um, and so we, we bring that expertise and our expertise in the humanitarian field and our expertise also on, on the language tech side to help humanitarian organizations um, can listen to and communicate with people who are directly affected by an emergency. So we might do that by translation. We, we translate uh, whether it's text or audio content yes. um, for that two-way communication. We train the staff of those organizations or the people from communities who are working as interpreters to, to have a, a better flow of communication. Um, we research language barriers and we provide information from that to help organizations inform their planning and their resourcing of, the, of their programs. We also develop terminology tools um, so that field workers or the people who are doing the translation and the, the interpreting in that response have access to you know, a, a verified, accurate, and also widely understood translation for some of the often technical terms that are coming up in, in their work. Um, and we also develop language technology tools to respond to that. So we, we bring a whole range of different solutions to try and make sure that people on both sides of that, the people who are affected and the people who are coming to try and provide support can communicate and that therefore the assistance can be as, as effective as possible. Thank you so much. That sounds fantastic. And it is. Right. <laughs> it is. We love impressive. it. <laughs> and uh, on both sides, absolutely is needed uh, someone affected by a crisis and someone who is helping. So mm -hmm. speaking of a crisis, um, as many of us are currently going through, a, very unfortunately, uh, a global health crisis, uh, COVID-19, I understand that the organization had translated over 2.5 million words related to COVID-19 and in over 99 different languages. Uh, so can you explain a little bit about the, the, the role of uh, Translators Without Borders in this crisis? Yeah, so we've we've done a lot. As you said, we've been partnering with with over 80 organizations to do this. So we're we're looking to help everyone from um, a, a, a Nigerian community NGO um, yeah. to communicate with their target uh, target population to um, an organization like HelpAge, who are specifically looking at the information needs of, of disabled people and, and older people in various contexts. Um, helping them to get information out. Um, we've been that glossary work that I was talking about, the terminology work, um, very important for COVID-19. I mean, we we're all basically speaking a foreign language. I had never heard, I don't know about you, social distancing, what? <laughs> was not in my vocabulary, even in English before yeah. uh, before COVID-19. And many of the translators that we work with say, this is this not a concept, this doesn't work. You translate it literally and it means nothing. And so... Yeah. Um, helping to ensure that there is that consistent resource um, in our our glossary which is is uh, freely downloadable it's available now in 34 languages and counting um, with co clear and um, and accurate translations for for a whole range of concepts related to it um, we're also mapping the languages and literacy levels in countries that are affected by covid19 um, to help responding organizations to plan that communication, that risk communication effort. So if you take Nepal, for instance, there's over 120 languages spoken there. Wow. Um, and, and the transmission rate has been climbing lately. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to, you know, 
which are the languages that are spoken where, you need to know who's going to understand what format. So, for instance, uh, there's a massive disparity between uh, the, the, the literacy levels of men and women. Women are considerably lower than men and also of younger compared to older people. So older people in Nepal, something like a quarter of them can read and write which tells responding agencies they need to be using non-text forms and they need to be using audio and video and graphics yeah. um, to, to communicate. Um, we've been doing social media monitoring to try to get an understanding of what people's specific concerns are, what their questions are, in order to, to help those our partners, uh, partner organizations to develop responses that really answer those questions. We found yeah. out from our work elsewhere, for instance, in, uh, in Eastern DRC on the Ebola response, we found that people told us not only is the technical terminology very confusing, not only um, is it difficult when communication isn't in their own language to understand it, um, but also if they're just told, you know, wash your hands, do not leave your house, and they're not able to get an answer to their specific questions around how they're going to do that or why, um, then they're much less likely to take that advice on board. And so if we really want to put an end to this, this pandemic, then it's really important that we first understand. So we've been doing multilingual social media monitoring in a range of mostly Asian languages. Um, and very excitingly, taking forward that idea of you first need to listen to people people's concerns in order to respond. Yes. Um, we've been developing a chatbot. Um, obviously in, in, the, in the pandemic era, uh, non-contact communication is becoming all the more vital. Um, you know, how, how do we find out what people's concerns and questions are without putting them at increased risk by coming yeah. into close contact with them? Um, and so we're, we're working with the Red Cross, with the International Federation of the Red Cross, to roll out um, a, initially one chatbot. We're looking to, to build that up uh, into a number of, of different languages for, for various affected contexts. And the exciting thing about that is that because it's a bot, because it's a machine, yeah. um, you can use language technology, you can use natural language um, understanding to enable people to ask a question. Many of the, the automated um, information mechanisms that are out there at the moment are menu-based. You have to go in and say, you know, for, for frequently asked questions, press mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Um, whereas with this, you can ask your question um, and get an answer to it. And over time, we aggregate that data and we see, okay, how well are we doing in responding? Do we have the right answers to these questions and track what, what impact it has okay. if, you, um, if you get the information out in a, in a better format, in, yes. uh, in another language, et cetera. Um, so that over time is going to enable all of the responders to uh, to get better, to refine their yeah. their outreach strategies. Yes, in order to answer people's concerns more more directly. Well, that's, so that's the plan. Thank you so much for uh, for uh, explaining all of uh, the actions taken by the organisation. Uh, so helpful uh, in this um, very unfortunate time. And uh, and as you mentioned, glossary. I'm very I'm very uh, keen to know a little bit more. So you mentioned that the glossary has been um, established in 34 different languages. Uh, I mm. saw myself 186 words. Very impressive. Is there any plan on expanding? Uh, with unfortunately, um, some countries, some parts of the world who are developing um, um, more cases. They um, mm. they. Um, is there a plan to expand this glossary um, with the situation going on? Yeah, we, we will continue to expand it. Um, it's not something that we have specific resourcing for. It was initially yeah. um, launched with, with funding, in fact, from the, from the UK government. 
and we need to find ways to build on that. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, we it needs to it, it needs to continue. Uh, yeah. When you look at the, in fact, we've mapped it ourselves the the growth of COVID nineteen against language and literacy. Yeah. Um, you'll see that many of the countries that are seeing a real spike in cases are multilingual. Um, places like Haiti that we were speaking about earlier, or Nepal, or Malawi, um, and so just communicating in in the dominant language or very often in a an international the old colonial language isn't enough and it's really not enough when you want to meet reach the most vulnerable because the people that are least likely to speak those languages and certainly to be able to read those languages if they're not their native tongue mm -hmm. are speakers of my, minority or marginalized languages and the people who have less access to an education anyway those are often older people people with disabilities women and girls mm -hmm. people that you would in any case need to be sure you were reaching um you know women are very often the caregivers in many societies will be the caregivers for anyone who falls sick they'll be the one that determines whether they go to a health center you need to understand to make sure that they have the information they need to make the right choices for themselves and their families in that situation thank you so much thank you um, and speaking of technology, you, you, so you mentioned that you're working on developing it, so you're like the bot um, that would really be very helpful to anyone uh, in different languages. Um, like the current, in the current, the current society, AI is developing at like um, in a heartbeat, right? Tomorrow could be different. And uh, I understand that the organization Translators Without Borders is working with the uh, organizations, uh, companies, should I say, with Google and Microsoft. Uh, I, I quote uh, Translators Without Borders in giving some of its language data to companies um, such as themselves to train translation software mm. uh, with a lot of parallel text uh, that's already been translated uh, by humans. So we know that linguists need to work uh, with um, AI, that AI cannot only do the job itself. Mm. And oh, absolutely. Can you expand a little bit about the work that you, that you do um, uh, with Google and Microsoft? Yeah, so well, there's a specific um, collaboration with them and with a, a group of uh, academics and some other companies around COVID-19. So they're helping us in our aim of building language technology for marginalized languages, um, specifically by um, translating content and making it openly available yeah. for uh, language technologists. So that's uh, that, that's not in their commercial interest. That's in the interest of getting language okay. resources out there. And essentially, if, the problem is that if you and I were in an earthquake in a foreign country where we didn't speak the language, we could Google stuff in English or in French. We could get the information we need. Um, but in a, a Rohingya refugee in Bangladesh um, or a, a, a an older displaced woman in northeast Nigeria simply doesn't have that resource because their languages are not on things like Google Translate. They're not on those big online platforms and that's where we need them. Um, what we, the way to ensure that people have access to the information they need when they need it is to, is to have the, the same kind of progress um, in a language like Rohingya or Kanuri, which is a big language of Northeast Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, as we have in French and English and German, all the, the dominant um, you know, economically powerful languages. Mm -hmm. And so we're building that up um, and we're working with humanitarian partners who see the potential for that in terms of reaching um, and listening to a wider range of vulnerable people in, in support of their, their humanitarian aims as well. Um, and yeah, and, and our collaboration with the, the big tech companies is 
in support of our aims um, and it helps you know we need that we need the info the data to be there we, the language data to be there where people are going to use it and the reality is that people are going to use the big online tools so oh. anything that we develop with them or by ourselves um, in terms of language technology is supporting uh, is open access um, and will support that yeah, universal access to uh, to language technology. Of course, that's yeah. the plan, and we're we're moving on it. It's uh, yeah, sounds very exciting. Headway. Uh, we're already working on uh, on a number of languages for it. Sorry. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah, you're working on a number of languages. Yeah. So even ahead of, of COVID nineteen, we've uh, we've been developing machine translation um, for languages like Tigrinya. Um, and so, which is, was a major challenge, for instance, has been a major challenge um, uh, in the European refugee response. A lot of people arriving from that part of Africa and, and, and aid organizations and national authorities really struggling to support them because they didn't have the language resources mm -hmm. there. Um, Rohingya is another, um, Hausa and Kanuri for, for Nigeria are others. So there's, uh, things are, are really moving on that front. And I think with the additional what we're really hoping is that a silver lining from the, the horror of COVID-19 can be that there is an investment in language technology and remote communication technology in the languages of people who are directly affected and that that moves us one step further forward towards a more equitable global communication. Absolutely. Yes. That was going to be, I was going to ask you, that was uh, my next question really. Why, why is the language support uh, so important and needed in uh, humanitarian actions? Uh, with, with what's going on in general? And that, that all ties up as well with the work that you do with um, uh, Google, Microsoft and uh, the localization industry being involved in helping. Um, um, so, yeah, what, the, what difference does it make really on a daily basis? What is to help um, anyone, uh, anyone uh, who wouldn't necessarily have access uh, um, uh, to some tools. Uh, I, I read an article um, uh, where uh, it was mentioned that uh, Translators Without Borders is helping uh, to convey that message through uh, different media, such as radio as well. Mm -hmm. Parts of the world where you would, um, you would have an access to radio, but not necessarily to a computer. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is something where we receive amazing support from um, the language industry, from sponsors and, and supporters with across the language industry, um, helping us to have capacity in languages and at speeds that otherwise sometimes we wouldn't be able to, to pull off to, to meet um, an urgent need. Um, language, I mean, languages is what humans do. Um, we need to communicate and generally the, the aid sector is incredibly English dominated. And the big decisions and the big strategic discussions happen in English or maybe in some parts of the world in French or in Arabic or in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, speakers of, of marginalized languages simply don't get to the table very often because we're not making provision from, for them. And that's not because anyone's not meaning to, not wanting to. Um, it's not an intentional exclusion, but it's very much there. Um, and so it, it, at every stage in an emergency, at every stage, uh, there needs to be a very explicit support for people to communicate in their own languages. So when, when there's an emergency, there's a needs assessment done. That needs assessment needs to be carried out in local languages, in the languages that people themselves, including the most vulnerable, who maybe haven't got to school and don't speak the dominant language, um, are able to, to input through. Um, you know, then the, the, the program is designed 
hopefully on that basis it's taken the real needs of those vulnerable groups and marginalized language speakers on board to get their participation to ensure that they can really access services um, to, to have them have information on the basic services that are available that all needs to be in the right languages and in as you were saying in a format that's accessible so if you're not literate there's really no point giving you a poster or a, a leaflet mm -hmm. um, radio's probably the biggest uh, relayer of, of information um, in large parts of, the, of uh, low income countries and, and uh, among large sections of, of crisis affected populations. So you've done your needs assessment, you've developed your program, people need to have an opportunity to feedback. If we're going to improve on what we're doing and if any abuses um, or theft or um, has occurred, mm -hmm. or if anyone's been excluded unintentionally, yeah. that, that needs to get back. And so there needs to be a mechanism that enables them, people to do that, regardless of which language they speak, regardless of whether they can read or write. And so in our work with partners around the world, we're able to support all of those stages. We, we translate um, needs assessment questionnaires. We provide audio transcripts of, of community feedback so that people can, can leave voice recordings um, in their own language. Um, and in the middle of that, there is a mass of communication whether it's training materials, whether it's uh, public health communication, uh, that, that, that gives the substance or, to the communication between the humanitarian organization and the people they're actually there to work for. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that is about ensuring that people have, that people affected by an emergency can claim their rights, have the opportunity to make their own choices. So back in 2017, when there was that influx of, of traumatized refugees um, from Myanmar into Bangladesh. Um, something like 23% of people said they had enough information to make decisions for themselves and their family. Something over 60% said they couldn't talk to humanitarian aid workers. Um, when that was, after a lot of work by TWB and, and partners like Internews, BBC Media Action and others to support uh, listening to and communicating with re the Rohingya refugees in their own language. Um, in 2019, that number had, had, uh, had gone down to so just 8% saying that they didn't have the information. 92% they said they had the information they needed to make decisions for themselves and their families. That's about somebody in a terrible situation, a situation that any of us would be horrified to find ourselves in, having a having choices, having the information they need to, to make their own decisions, which mm -hmm. is a pretty fundamental piece of, of human dignity yeah. um, and pretty fundamental to ensuring that people can claim their own rights in an emergency. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and um, last but not least, um, to finish uh, the interview today, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? So we talked about um, the work that the organization does and uh, and uh, the, the software that you're developing uh, and the importance of being involved uh, um, in in time of crisis uh, whether it's at the moment or in general to help anyone who would need it um, is there anything else uh, you'd like to share maybe how to donate how to to become a sponsor a fundraiser how to be involved if anyone listening or watching would like to be involved thank you very much yeah absolutely Thing number one, talk about it, think about it. Language is incredibly important in humanitarian emergencies. Be aware of it. Um, secondly, yes, if you have language skills, 
um, and you would like to be involved, um, please do, you can, translatorswithoutborders.org, you can, you can sign up to, to volunteer, to take part, whether as a, a translator or advisor, an editor, there are various different roles. Um, certainly donations are very welcome because the demand, um, particularly on COVID-19, is certainly outstripping our capacity to meet it. Um, and, and everything helps. Again, you can go through our, our, uh, the donation tab on our, our webpage. Um, fundraisers can be a lot of fun to organize and they're also a way, if language is something you care about, to get people talking and thinking, thinking about language. Um, and of course, we have incredible backing um, from language services providers across, across the industry. Um, and if that's what you do and you would be interested in, in getting involved, please do. There are lots of opportunities to, to do so. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. Uh, fantastic to hear about all the, uh, the actions taken by the organizations, uh, TWD, um, TWB, sorry. And, uh, and, uh, and that's the end, unfortunately, already of today's show with uh, Ali Camp. Thank you again, Ali. For your time. Uh, Ellie again is the head of crisis response at Translators Without Borders. Uh, so please make sure to tune in again uh, to listen, re listen, or re watch to this episode uh, or listen to the next Vista Talk show uh, where we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world.